Welcome to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small, your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Brought to you by LakeLink, your online fishing resource at lake-link.com. Outdoors Radio is also brought to you by Remy Battery, family owned and operated since 1931, serving Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. RemyBattery.com. And by Huntworth Gear, high-tech camel wear at a price you can afford. HuntworthGear.com. I'm Dan Small. Jeff Kelm will join me here shortly. And today, British author Chris Salisbury talks about exploring the outdoors at night. And Remy Battery President Mike Miller invites us to visit Remy's retail stores in Milwaukee and Houghton and Escanaba, Michigan. Time now for the Madison Outdoors Report, presented each week by Pappas Trading Post, Southern Wisconsin's leading Matthews and Mission Archery retailer, on Highway 14, they're located just west of Arena, and you can find them on the web at pappastradingpost.com. You can hear this feature every week at this time on WTSO, the Big 1070, and anytime on our podcast, wherever you get it, LakeLink, iHeartRadio, or any other podcast platform. Joining us once again is pro angler Duffy Cup. Well, Duffy, thanks for joining us, and welcome back. Okay, it's good to be back. Well, speaking of back, last time we spoke with you, you were up north having a bad musky trip. How did that trip end? Yeah, the first, I mean, there are four of us that would go up there for that uh, little bit over a week. And uh, the first five days were were painful. Uh, between the four of us, I think there was one small musky caught. We hmm. were all very, very frustrated. And then... <clears throat> Uh, one of the, the second to the last day that we were going to fish, Jeff and I were going to go in one direction and the other two guys were going to go to a different lake. They were exploring a, a small lake and they, they worked and worked and worked and found out there was no public access. So that didn't work for them. So they found another one not too far away. Uh, kind of primitive. I had to, uh, when, when we got over there, because we were striking out on the lake we were at, and uh, unhooked my boat and turned my truck around and then uh, turned, uh, turned the boat around by hand and then back it in. So it was a little bit of an adventure, and the uh, horse flies there were about a pound and a half a piece. Wow. So it was a little bit, uh, a little bit uncomfortable, but uh, we finally got the boat in the water. And uh, we're kind of glad we did. I was I was not all happy with the situation, uh, but once we got out there and we all started uh, throwing bucktails and stuff like that, things started coming in, and uh, we caught the four of us caught twenty six uh, muskies. Oh, twenty six no. muskies! I've never heard Man, of. That. I told you you weren't going to believe me. Oh <laughs> yeah. Oh. And, of course, uh, you're not going to reveal the location of this lake, even though it's hard to get your boat into it. Yes. Yeah, I will uh, I will uh, sacrifice that to uh, be there again. Wow. So, uh, boy, any size to them? Uh, none of them were, were real big. Uh, I think the biggest one we probably put in was, was close to 40, but there were multiple, multiple fish. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it was, we were, we were kind of pinching ourselves after a while because we couldn't believe it either. Yeah. Uh, so that's one of those once in a lifetime things that happened to you. 
you kind of cherish that because that stuff like that does not happen very often. Yeah, we, we had a great time. But it happened two days in a row. Yeah, we were we were there. We we fished it the first day, and we had some success that we couldn't pass up going there for the last day out there, and we did, and uh, we caught a pretty much an equal amount on on the second day, and uh, we had one. One bait that all of us were throwing at different times that was very, very successful. Uh, just really a, a cool northern Wisconsin uh, adventure. Wow. So that was, uh, that was it. Uh, I mean, we, we had other things. Uh, Steve's, Steve's uh, starting battery went bad, and I had to tow him in, and uh, we had all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, uh, on the road, a little bit of trouble with his trailer, and and uh, but uh, I mean, you talk to any of the four of us that were there, you're going to get that same look on our face. <laughs> that was a very exceptional opportunity. Yeah, a glazed look and a and a permanent smile, right? <laughs> yeah, and I think I think we're going to uh, see if we can all four of us get up there again in September, something. Yeah. See if that was a fluke or not. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. Now, that that goes to show you that a little uh, exploring and scouting and trying new places, especially places that don't have a paved landing and a big parking lot and, uh, you know, easy to get to, sometimes pays off. Well, yeah, the, the, second, the second time we went up there, they had... Uh uh, the co- the county, I think it was a county machine, was going up there. The the road going in is just a, kind of a narrow gravel road, and uh, he was going and widening it a little bit and everything. You're, you're on 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 that crummy road for for quite a while, so we had to uh, slow down and and follow him going in. But he he widened uh, the area around uh, the gravel that goes into the lake. So it was a little easier to get our boat in. Oh, great. Well, now that you're back and uh, you've snapped out of that dream, uh, what's going on in the Madison area? Well, uh, I was out out on Friday, and uh, uh, I was out on Mendota, and the, the big change this year, as opposed to the previous two years, is the amount of weeds that have developed. Uh, it's it's phenomenal. I mean, I, I just, when, when you have, there are some spots in 14 feet of water where there's almost emergent weeds. Wow. Uh, and, and they're just so thick. And you can't, you know, if you have a, a foot and a half or two feet of water over the top of the weeds, you can throw that spinnerbait over it or stuff like that, and you just, it's just everything's too thick. You can't. You can't do it. You're cleaning your spinnerbait off after every cast. You have to try and find an edge uh, to just a fish. And then uh, I, I did not have a lot of success. There's a lot of algae uh, floating around. But then there are parts of the lake where I found, and you go there, and there's a couple of couple of acres of water anyway that looked like you could drink the water. Wow. Um, kind of, kind of different. I think it has a lot to do with the wind, but uh, uh, I think right now, the next time I go on Mendota, I'm taking slip bobbers out there and, and some leeches and some night crawlers and, and doing it that way because 
trying to fish it with uh, artificials really starts to become difficult. You can't troll because there's too much uh, too much stuff floating in the water. Yeah. So it's a little bit frustrating. And if you want to call it dog days, we're here already. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What do you hear? Although from... I was out. Yeah. Well, I was out out this morning on on Monona, and it was nice and cool. Water temperature seventy two degrees. Um, but pretty much the same thing. A lot of weeds and a lot of floating algae and clumps of it and stuff like that. So it, it makes fishing artificials, you know, spinner baits, crankbaits, stuff like that, either very, very difficult or impossible. I mean, there are areas where even a, like a Johnson Silver now, every time you bring it back, it's going to be covered with slime. Wow. Uh, so a little bit frustrating. I guess. Well, what do you hear about Wabisa or Kigansa or Lake Wisconsin, if anything? Wabisa, I really haven't heard of anybody being down there. I've got to believe it's it's kind of been the, the same situation. Now, I know that uh, when I got off the, the water today that uh, there was another guy putting his boat on the trailer, and he said that he went out on Monona and he didn't have any trouble uh, trouble finding bluegills. Uh, so hopefully he's guided it to catch those uh, eight, eight-and-a-half-inch bluegills and keep those and throw the bigger ones back. But if you want to fish live bait, I mean, the fish are there. Uh, they haven't disappeared. Yeah, well, good, good. You got any events coming up? I have. If you looked at my calendar and how bare it is right now, it's, it's, it's kind of unbelievable. I have... Uh, a lot of freedom until, uh, I think, uh, early in September. Uh, September, October, we're going to have some uh, dealer shows and getting back to normal on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be working for Pure Fishing uh, with those. So things are getting back to normal, and hopefully all the other shows will be back to normal, too. Uh, looking forward. All right. Well, Duffy, thanks so much for that report, and we'll talk to you again, uh, gosh, sometime in the next month. Okay, Dan. We'll see you. You bet. Duffy Cup with the Madison Outdoors Report. I'm Dan Small. More Outdoors Radio right after this. Now joining me now once again from Wisconsin Rapids is Jeff Kelm. Well, Jeff, you had a tournament in Minnesota, kind of an unusual one, right? A high school fishing tournament? Yeah, you know, it's not unusual for me to run a high school fishing tournament, but it is a little less usual to run it on a weekday. Yeah. But really... The reason, and we did it last year on a Tuesday as well, and uh, last year and this year were both done um, on lakes pretty close to the Twin Cities. And um, as we all are aware, the population of the Twin Cities and the population that enjoys to uh, jump on the water is quite high uh, and even higher on a weekend. And so it is very difficult to run a tournament near the Twin Cities on a weekend, and uh, you just don't have the capacity, you don't have the room, you get a lot of user conflict, things of that nature. And so uh, last year, we did it on uh, um, uh, Minnetonka, Lake Minnetonka. This year, it was Lake Waconia, and uh, we had 52 teams out on Lake Waconia here this year and had a great time. 18 pounds of fish won the event, a couple of young men from the Becker bass team uh, in becker minnesota uh that uh, will qualify for the national championship on lake pickwick in alabama next june uh 22 so uh it was very fun to see them succeed and uh 
Uh, I have been doing the uh, high school tournaments now as the tournament director for the last, uh, since 2018, mm-hmm. I believe was my first year's tournament director. So some of those anglers, this is their last chance to qualify for that uh, tournament. And I've also seen them kind of walk through their sure. uh, high school fishing career. So it was sure. kind of cool to see some of these anglers. They're, they're aging out, and uh, they're going to be on to their, their next chapter, per, perhaps uh, college bass fishing and things of that nature. But it was very cool to be a part of that each and every year. Yeah. Was 18 pounds um, a clear winner? Were there some close ones? Yeah, it was just about a pound more than yeah. second place yeah. and uh, easily two pounds more than uh, third place. And then it uh, really dropped off from there. We had a lot of teams that were in that 14-pound range uh-huh. um, and uh, a lot of fish all that same size, very, very uh, uh, cookie-cutter. Okay, interesting. Well, uh, now you've got a tournament this weekend. Yeah, well, we head out uh, here in a, in a little bit to head to Oscoda, Michigan, We've got the Bass Pro Shops Cabela's National Team Championship. And uh, so we'll be gone for uh, for a week to run that. Uh, and then we've also got a Michigan State High School Championship to run the very next day <laughs> uh, in a different part of Michigan. So we're going to, yeah, we're going to pack up and hit the road as fast as possible. And and uh, we're going to, we'll be a little tired, I think, uh, coming in next week. Yeah, sounds like it. Wow. <clears throat> Well, uh, boy, you've been running all over the country. Um, not much new here. Just kind of holding down the fort and getting enough rain um, every week or so to keep the pastures green and keep moving the sheep from, uh, you know, green grass that they eat up to uh, new grass that they can uh, work on. And uh, so far it's working out. I haven't had to give them much hay um, this summer, which is good. And we've got two more broody hens. They just keep doing it. So we may be hatching chicks into late summer or early fall at this rate if this keeps up. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, coming up, we'll be talking with British educator and author Chris Salisbury about his new book called Wild Nights Out. And it's not what the title sounds like. It's, uh, Hikes in the Woods at Night with Kids. Really interesting book. And Remy Battery President Mike Miller offers advice for maintaining deep cycle batteries in solar power DC systems for remote cabins or anyone like us here um, who wants off-grid power. All that and more coming up on Outdoors Radio. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. Since our inception, Huntworth has worked relentlessly to incorporate innovative technologies and forward-thinking design into affordable camouflage apparel. Our gear, designed with the disruption camo pattern, utilizes computer-generated graphics featuring a high level of random and abstract visual noise to help you remain undetected in the environment. So whether you need the latest in hunting gear technology or clothing that just simply fits your lifestyle, Huntworth Gear is what you're looking for. HuntworthGear.com. That's HuntworthGear.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small.
Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. For 90 years, the family-owned Remy Battery Company has served customers in Milwaukee and more recently in Escanaba and Houghton in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Remy's Milwaukee store is located where Miller Park Way becomes 43rd Street at the intersection with Lincoln Avenue, 43rd and Lincoln. You can find Remy Battery online as well at remybattery.com. And joining us now to talk about uh, some of what uh, Remy Battery is up to is Remy President Mike Miller. Mike, thanks for joining us. Hey, Dan. Always great to be with you. Well, and 90 years in business and still owned by the same family. Congratulations. That's quite a milestone. Yeah, it is. As a matter of fact, we are the second oldest family, continuously family-owned battery specialist in the country. Really? Uh, yep. It's a little... It, uh, a little interesting fact, uh, there is one other family out there, they beat us by two years, <laughs> and uh, and they're still going strong, too. They're uh, they're in Illinois, and, uh, you know, we've been up here in Wisconsin, and we've known each other, the families have known each other for years and years and years, so uh, we, we, we talk to them, we see them on a regular basis, so. It's uh, it's kind of a, a small world and uh, a very uh, interesting group of people that uh, you get to meet through this industry. <clears throat> yeah, well, that's great. I'm, I'm glad they're doing well, too. And uh, I had a good time visiting uh, you folks during your recent 90th birthday party. Uh, your marketing director, Dan Urich, gave me a tour, and I was impressed with everything you got going on, uh, your uh, storage of many, many batteries that are going out to commercial contractors and... Uh, uh, making cables and doing everything else you do there. You've got quite an operation there. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. And, you know, everybody in, in our community uh, where we're located thinks about us for the retail and, you know, kind of thinks that we're just strictly a, a retail-type company. But uh, retail only makes up maybe about 5 to 10% of our overall sales, dependent on the uh, – uh, the year uh, and the weather and the temperatures and uh, so we uh, but we we do that as a service to our community and we've been doing that for a very very long time and it really grew out of an extension of our wholesale business when you know uh, our customers would send in their employees or family members to uh, get a battery and so uh, over the years and my father who you met and you know very well. Yep. Uh, he really opened. He really uh, promoted that and opened up our doors to to the retail consumer walking in off the street. Uh, you know, basically starting in the late seventies, early eighties, and uh, we continue that tradition to today. So you know, you walk right in the street, uh, right off the street, and you're going to be able to get the same exact battery that we may be shipping hundreds and thousands to to a commercial account. Uh huh. So, uh, what are some of the services that you offer there? Uh, obviously, batteries, but that's not all. Sure, absolutely. All of our locations offer free installation on most uh, applications. So, you bring your boat, you trailer your boat or your trailer in, and uh, we'll we'll install on that. Uh, you know, we install on vehicles uh, every day of the week, and uh, we'll we'll perform an electrical test. Uh, on your battery as well as your starting and charging system on your vehicle uh, just to make sure that they're up to a state of health. Um, and uh, usually we can do that uh, in a pretty short order, pretty short time. We like to uh, say that we can do it most uh, cases in 15 minutes or less. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 
people that are on their way to work can get in here, get in and get out and still make it to work. Or if you got uh, 15 minutes over a lunch hour, uh, same thing, get in, get out, and still have a little time to grab that lunch on your way back to the uh, office. Uh-huh. What other um, accessories and supplies do you have? Sure. You know, Dan, we deal with a lot of battery accessories uh, and battery-related products. So wire, cable, we custom build wire and cable, um, and uh, battery boxes, chargers, testers, pretty much anything that you can hook up to a battery or you can imagine hooking up to a battery. Mm-hmm. Inverters, you know, inverters are a big one that we see uh, people looking for portable power to add uh, a AC current to their vehicles. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, and while I was there, several people brought in batteries to be recycled, different sizes, uh, and you actually pay for old batteries. Let's the batteries we are paying for, and that is market-driven, obviously, like uh, most commodities. And uh, today we're paying $5 for a uh, automotive-sized battery. If they're a little bit bigger, obviously we're paying a little bit more. If they're smaller, obviously we're paying a little bit less. But uh, yes, we uh, that that we pay for, uh, but we do recycle other chemistries, NiCad, Nickelium, uh, nickel metal hydrides, uh, and uh, most of those sizes they don't have a market value. But we will do the uh, responsible thing and send them back for proper recycling uh, in order to reclaim whatever materials they can out of those uh, components. Yeah, and in past interviews, you've told us that uh, actually lead acid batteries are probably the most recycled consumer products in America, or in the world, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the United States has a, a recycling model that is duplicated worldwide. Uh, countries that are looking to uh, clean up their environment, they look to the United States and look to the uh, lead-acid battery recycling model that has been developed here, and they pretty much replicate it. Uh, in their countries, and uh, it's a very successful model. And uh, like you said, Dan, it's a very closed-loop system. It's as closed-loop as you can get on any post-consumer uh, product. Uh-huh. Well, and interestingly enough, um, you know I have uh, solar panels and uh, deep-cycle batteries here running a couple of freezers and a refrigerator and some of the lights in our house and actually we have a well pump that's on uh, AC or DC so if the power goes out uh the grid power goes out uh I just I think the switch flips automatically and I still got um, a pump pumping water from my well but uh one of my banks of batteries they're about 10 12 years old now they're just they're failed on me and you and I talked about replacing them so I'm going to be coming in real soon to bring my eight of my old batteries and uh, uh, trading uh, trading them uh, and a little cash for some new ones. Uh, and this is a part of your business. I wasn't uh, I wasn't sure you did this until I had the failure. <clears throat> yeah, Dan. You know, I mean, we don't do much of it here in the city in Milwaukee, but uh, our other locations in Escanaba and, and Houghton, Michigan. Both of those locations do quite a bit of uh, off-grid work, whether it's for a deer camp or like what you have, an off-grid uh, solar system. Um, you know, obviously that uh, there's more demand for that in uh, more remote locations uh, and where the, the uh, grid is typically a little bit less stable uh, just for that backup power. 
and so you know both of our locations up there do do quite a bit of uh, that uh, type of uh, standby power business for uh, home and and camp use. Uh huh. And are you seeing an increase in um, in people doing this, putting in solar systems either at a second home or uh, back up in their their main home? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, where where uh, grid power isn't as accessible, and it, you know, to pull in grid power to a remote location is uh, becomes cost ineffective. Then that's where a lot of people look towards uh, a solar wind uh, combined with batteries. You need the batteries, obviously, in the system yep. for when you know when the sun doesn't shine or when the wind doesn't blow. You got to have something to store that energy. So that way you have access to that and be able to use that energy for those time periods where you don't have it coming in uh, from those renewable sources. Mm-hmm. So, you know, batteries become a, a, a real important role in that. And the fact that you got 10 years off of your uh, your system, your batteries in your system, you know, says something about how well you did take care of uh, those batteries. And they require maintenance and, uh, you know, being diligent about uh, maintaining the electrolyte levels and uh, also making sure that the uh, uh, terminals remain clean and that you're not getting any kind of corrosion buildup. All that can shorten the life and also reduce the amount of power that you're going to be able to draw from those batteries. Well, I, uh, I, I, I won't say that I was super uh, uh, diligent in taking care of them, but apparently I did a good enough job. But I'll tell you what, with these new ones, I'm going to be on them every month and check them to make sure I got the water levels just right. That's perfect. And don't forget, Dan, use distilled water, not that well water. Too yep. many minerals in that well water. Well, I guess, yeah, we've got hard water. Yeah, I buy distilled water, and that's what we use, so... Well, uh, Mike, we got to let you go here. Um, hours for your store in Milwaukee, or uh, or all three stores actually, are they the same? Yep, uh, pretty much eight till five weekdays, and uh, yeah, on Saturdays we have uh, limited hours. Uh, Milwaukee, we're open on Saturdays from nine to two, and Escanaba and uh, Holton, we're open from eight until noon. All right, on Saturdays. Well, Mike, I will see you soon, and we'll be talking probably every month now that you're a regular sponsor, and we'll get some battery advice, uh, different varieties of batteries and different uh, applications as we go through the year. So thank you so much. Sounds fantastic, Dan. Good talking to you. All right. Mike Miller, president of Remy Battery in Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. You can learn more about what they offer online at RemyBattery.com. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Listen to more Outdoors Radio online at DanSmallOutdoors.com. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Thanks for joining us on Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. Many Wisconsinites, and I dare say many of you listening to this show right now, spend a great deal of time outside, especially now that summer is here. But how often are you outside at night, and what do you do when you do venture out after dark? 
Well, joining me now from Devon in southwest England to talk about spending time outdoors after the sun goes down is Chris Salisbury. He's a storyteller, an educator, and the founder and director of an enterprise called Wildwise. He's also author of a new book entitled Wild Nights Out, The Magic of Exploring the Outdoors After Dark. And his website is wildwise.co.uk. Well, Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure, Tom. And uh, welcome to our uh, not too vast but growing network of uh, outdoors radio listeners. Um, we'll get to your book in just a, a little bit, but first tell us about Wildwise. What is it and what do you do? Yes, uh, it's um, in essence it's a major connection project that issues forth endless invitations. Uh, different ways to uh, step over that threshold, you know, from indoors to outdoors. Uh, so a real diverse range of courses, events, and training courses, training educators to be practitioners in the field. Uh, so a real mixture, drawn on 25 years' experience of guiding uh, people over that threshold. And, of course, this book was the fruit of those labors um, over those years. Sure. Uh, now, I know you're familiar with Richard Louvre and his book, Last Child in the Woods. Um, Indeed. And it's pretty bad here. Kids would rather stay indoors and communicate with the world and each other using mobile phones and other mobile devices. Is uh, this epidemic as widespread in the U.K. as it is here? Uh, I'm afraid to report it's uh, it's just as bad. Yeah. There was a statistic came out I think maybe a couple of years ago um, that was frightening. It chilled us all to the bone because uh, it's the same in the UK as in the states that children of a certain age are spending less time outdoors than the average prisoner in both of our countries. That's a scary kind of thought, it, isn't it? It is, and I, I really, did, yeah, I did see that. Yeah, we we talked about that oh, already. So we're in the same boat. Yeah. All right, and uh, it's leaking. <laughs> mm. So, uh, yeah. So to your book now, um, Wild Nights Out. Uh, why go outside at night? Mm. Well, I think the invitation is uh, very compelling. Um, all sorts of reasons why you might go for a visceral you know, uh, experience of the natural world that is charged with something different, there's something different in the air at night there is jeopardy at night of course we feel that biologically really as uh, not historically the top predator, the apex predator and at night we'll feel the vulnerability mm-hmm. um, that sense of jeopardy brings us into our current presence brings us into a, uh, all our faculties, really, which has an excitement and a thrill. Yeah. Um, I think there's also, oh, there's also wonderment um, available at night. You know, the cosmic dance above us, the night sky, all those extraordinary uh, events that take place beholding a night sky, a tree dark sky, you know, brings us into wonderment. There's mystery at night. We do love a mystery. Things we cannot see. Um, that we project our beautiful imagination into, and um, that blank canvas of the night, 
uh, and that may cause trepidation, but it also may bring wonderment as we imagine the creatures that lurk there. So I think, you know, there are endless reasons. There is a sanctuary in the lifetime. You know, as things lose their line and form and substance uh, with a light, fading light. Um, there's a certain kind of release there, a certain sanctuary to be had in the quietness, the different vibe of the night. And I know that many dog walkers testify to, to this particular pleasure of walking a dog late at night, just uh-huh. because it's so quiet and different. But yeah, not nocturnal mysteries, nocturnal nature, of course, comes alive at night. And so, from the wildlife trail, there are things to see and hear. And the aware of, which is always you know, endlessly fascinating, all of their different stories. Um, so that's a whole range of things, isn't it? Um, and we do have to sort of tear ourselves away from the bright lights and tear ourselves away from this screen time. But we are richly rewarded. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, there's a lot of variety in... Uh Anytime you go outside, but at night, you know, everything changes because the night creatures are out and you can't see very far. And well, who's your target audience for this? I, I know there are a lot of exercises in yeah. the books. You talk uh, uh, about kids. So, um, yeah, I wrote it originally, you know, conceived it many, many years ago. And then, you know, in the intervening time, a really busy schedule and far too many children I was having just meant it didn't. It didn't get actually finished and written until this uh, latest national lockdown, which afforded me some extra time. Originally, I conceived this for educators as a guidebook, as a handbook, as a field guide, as a set of helpful resources, inspiration, ideas, uh, to help them compile and compose, you know, nighttime experiences for themselves. And then the publisher, Chelsea Green, um, sort of got hold of it and really saw the potential to open this out a bit wider so that meant a lot of specific material you know didn't make the book um which would have maybe suited you know uh, the interests of professional outdoors men and women but it did give it a more general wide appeal um and so for chelsea green the publishers they they saw the target audience uh, pretty general parents grandparents even anyone wanting to acquaint themselves or children or others with the night time so it became a slightly more you know generic book in a way but covering loads of different areas and lots of specifics as well mm-hmm. and how to lead a night walk you know what to put in a night walk the creatures that you might meet on a night walk and lots of sort of narrative you know about them so kind of you can inform yourself stories of the stars you know the sort of some explanation, you know, of the firmament at night. Yeah. Um, just, just helpful, really. It's tips and, you know, bits of inspiration. There are narr- traditional narratives in their stories to tell around the campfire and, you know, there's riddles and there's poems and there's songs even. So a real compendium yeah. of inspiration for yeah. the night for anyone wanting to step over and share it, you know, with anyone else. Yeah, you cover you cover a lot of ground there and offer a lot of uh, exercises and activities and uh uh and talk yeah. about talk about wildlife and you know British um animals are are some are similar but some are different from what we have here in North America. <clears throat> we have foxes, yeah, owls and ba- bad, uh, badgers yeah. and otters and exactly. Yeah. 
there's a fair amount of crossover, but I you know, have urged the publishers that they might like to do a revised edition as well for the American audience. Uh-huh. Simply because I know people and I've worked with people over in the States at the Seder Wilderness Awareness School who are ideally placed with intimacy and acquaintance you know, with nocturnal creatures over there that they could perhaps rewrite that chapter uh, specifically. And I think the publishers are keen to see how it all goes themselves and then they'll address that in due course. Uh, but there's plenty of crossover yep. know, in terms of the little critters. You know, we share uh, a lot of the uh, extended family, if you, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Are you familiar with uh, a book by uh, <clears throat> Francis Hammerstrom, uh an American naturalist and author. It's called Walk When the Moon is Full. Do you know, I haven't, so I'm, I'm intrigued to follow this up. Yeah, I will. I will everything. I'll Everyone's send, written I'll, about the nighttime. I'll send you a link. And she, she patterned it after Aldo Leopold's um, uh, Sand County Almanac in that she took yeah. uh, 12 months, and she had two young children at the time, and she decided to... Uh, she, she wrote a chapter for each month uh, about a walk that they did uh, when the moon was full. And uh, they saw different things, and of course they didn't need uh, lights at night because they could see by the light of the moon. And uh, I I got that when my son was five or six years old, and we, we tried to do it. <laughs> the only one that we successfully pulled off was in February... Uh, we had a bright full moon, and we lived in the country on a little farm, and we had ski trails. Uh, and we skied um, in the woods uh, behind our place, and at one point we had stopped, and we noticed a coyote uh, was trotting down the trail toward us. And uh, it didn't see us, but as soon as it caught our scent, it dashed into the woods, and John was just... I mean, he had his ski poles uh, positioned defensively, like, if he comes here, I'm going to defend myself, you know. But uh, it's an adventure I certainly remember, and I'm sure he does too. And uh, you talk well, about... Well, you've, you've underlined something there, Dan, really, which is that, yeah, those nighttime encounters and adventures do stay with you for a lifetime. There's something about the night that brings really alive and etches itself into, a, you know, the life experience. So you did great just giving him that, you know, encounter. And, um, and yeah, if we can't make every, every full moon, you know, at least, you know, this book aims to encourage people whenever possible yeah. to step out. Because in a different season, you know, in a different, um, in different weather, in different habitats, it's just an it's endless kind of Absolutely. From the night world to find out more and um, solve some of those mysteries. Well, Chris, we've got to take a break here. Will you stay with us and uh, we'll come back after a short break? Since our inception, Huntworth has worked relentlessly to incorporate innovative technologies and forward-thinking design into affordable camouflage apparel. Our gear, designed with the disruption camo pattern, utilizes computer-generated graphics featuring a high level of random and abstract visual noise to help you remain undetected in the environment. So whether you need the latest in hunting gear technology or clothing that just simply fits your lifestyle, Huntworth Gear is what you're looking for. HuntworthGear.com. That's HuntworthGear.com. Here's a message from our friends at Remy Battery in Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. As Remy Battery enters the 90th anniversary of our company, we want to thank all of our customers and friends we have made over the years. Thank you for your continued support to our local, family-owned company. 
we invite you to our newly remodeled Milwaukee retail store on the corner of 43rd Street and Lincoln Avenue. We have batteries from the largest military crafts to the smallest hearing aids. Big and small, we have them all. Stop in for a free battery and electrical check before you hit the road, trails, or the waters. Don't forget to ask your sales representatives about volume pricing. Call Remy at 414-384-0340 or visit online at remybattery.com for all your battery and battery accessory needs. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the Ruffed Grouse and American Woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Ruffed Grouse Society toll-free at 888-JOIN-RGS. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. I'm talking with Chris Salisbury, storyteller and educator and the author of a new book entitled Wild Nights Out. Chris is joining us from his home in Devon in southwest England. And uh, Chris, we've been talking about a variety of things that you address there, but one question I I have for you is uh, just how wild is England? I think many of us think you know, and, and I've been to uh, Europe and uh, spent a year in France and s- spent some time in the UK. But many of us, I think, believe that uh, Europe is pretty well developed and it's hard to find a dark, uh, wild place where you can see the sky, yeah. for instance, you know? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things there, Dan. It's true. The, the dark skies of aviation really have done a lot of work to emphasize, you know, to shut the issue with light pollution. I believe in North America, you know, it's you know, similar issues really that um, a lot of our skies at night are indeed compromised by artificial lighting. And um, in Europe, why it's something like, you know, I can't quite remember, I've written it in a book, but it's an astonishing, a pretty high percentage of people do not have access to behold the night sky in, in natural dark. Uh-huh. And that's quite something. I mean, when you really let that in and think about it, that's quite something. I mean, our ancestors would have beheld that night sky in the same way that we did. It's breathtaking. We'd have been in awe, we'd have been in wonder, we'd have mused upon our place, you know, in space and what the mystery is all about. We'd have, we're depriving ourselves of that kind of, you know, quality of feeling and perception when we, when we can't see the sky properly. Mm-hmm. So this has sort of crept upon us. Culturally, we've banished the light, you know, you could say, by brightening our indoor world. Super bright, strip lights, you know. Um, even at the dark time of year here in the north, temperate north, you know, where where it is darker for longer at Christmas time, we, we turn on the twinkling, yep. brightening lights. Yep. You know, almost, almost as, with an aversion you know, to the dark. So... Um, you know, that's a real issue. And, of course, it's related to the amount of wild spaces, needless to say, the uninhabited zones, which in Britain are now becoming few and far between. You know, in Britain, you see, you can find these corridors of wildness, 
valleys that have you know, not been able to be exploited for their resource, timber and the like, inaccessible places that have this sort of vestige and echo of what would have been a quite remarkably biodiverse, you know, and magical realm. And we can find those, but they are in short supply. And um, I'm sorry to say that many of the associated species have dwindled, of course, with all the development and changing this habitat caused by the sort of building and the ridiculous sort of agricultural practice that have seen a biodiversity story, um, you know, be quite tragic, really, in Britain. Now, to counter that, and by the way, Britain is one of the most denuded, you know, countries in Europe in terms of biodiversity. But countering that, uh, there's, a, there's another kind of wildness to speak of. So this is really with my kind of storytelling, you know, um, hat on. Because here in Britain, it's so old, and people have lived here so long. And, you know, every feature in the landscape, even if some of the clothing of the landscape has disappeared, there is still the kind of, you know, the, the shapes of the hills, the contours, the rocks, the granite is still in place. Every feature of the landscape here uh, is storied. There's a sense the air is textured here. There is this kind of longevity and um, sense of old story reaching way, way back. And here, there is something that lurks in the spaces in between, I would say. It's... Um, it's, it's a it's got a sort of charged kind of atmosphere in Britain. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about the highly developed and modernised sort of places and cities, but just you know wandering around the old villages, you know, and even in the sort of little gaps in between the farmland, you know, little copses and things like that, you just feel the, the presence of story, you know, of people living a long, long time here and. And, and the landscape kind of recording those stories. And that, I think, is our indigenous here in Britain. We've got this terrific and amazing long line of kind of like an artistic tradition, really, that stretches right, right back to the Bards and the Celtic times. And this is very vibrant and alive. And it's, you know, it's not in the dominant culture so much. Yeah. It's super celebrated, you know, in the margins, of course. It's very alive and kicking in those margins. So I think we've got that sort of kind of cultural wildness still present here. If you're, you know, if you have the eyes to, to look and the ears to listen. If you're tuned sadly, into it, yeah. yeah. Wilderness is gone from Britain. Yeah. We really only have this sort of echo and residue. But, you know, there's a lot of rewilding kind of conversation going on in the hardcore conservation circles and there's some genuine and really interesting initiatives to uh, with some European legislative directives to bring back certain species like the lynx for example, like the beaver um, the pine martin that used to live here I think we'll wait a lot longer for the wolf and the bear of course to come back but the interesting, you know really interesting kind of uh, conversations and initiatives developing here. So all is not lost then. Well, good. Well, good. Uh, Well, of course, here in North America, we are heavily developed, but we do have uh, extensive wilderness areas um, and wild places, if not true wilderness. And our uh, cultural history that goes... it's not traceable as as accurately maybe as uh, what you described in Britain, but we have, of course, the Native Americans who 
have their own culture and tradition, or I should say cultures and traditions, because every tribe was unique. But um, European settlers did their best to, uh, and, and their and their descendants did their best to wipe out uh, Native American culture. Uh, we we have um, a number of tribes here in Wisconsin, and many people still uh, practicing some of the traditions and uh, uh, it, and and some speaking languages. So there is an effort to keep that alive. Um, uh, so so. Um, you know, uh, and and people tell stories uh, around the campfire. You know, <laughs> whether it be uh, uh, native stories or uh, just uh, ghost stories or adventure stories, and and, and you talk about yeah. that um, in your book. Yeah, I'm pleased to hear it. I mean, in a way, that is again this sort of link back to the past. There are some, there is some continuum here with some of the old stories that have prevailed. So much has been lost here and fragmented, and what you have in your country you do have this archive, you know, that's still kind of present. And although it's, you know, obviously gotten broken up and uh, heavily impacted by the, you know, the, the, the European settlers, um, there is some continuum there, I think, that you have, that we, you know, we don't have so much. It's kind of in a few residual old, old sort of stories, but really there's so much got lost here. So much interest in it, though. And, um, you know, there's a lot of revivalist, you know, initiatives that are going on to preserve that heritage and almost begin to plug some gaps and reinvent, you know, what we imagine mm-hmm. uh, there. Um, and yeah, definitely the night. It's another invitation of the night, isn't it? To light the fire and go yeah. around it. And yeah. Presence to the beautiful light, um, mystery of the, the fireside, the deepening dark and the comfort and the company of the hearth and all that flows forth, you know, around that fire. And I'm sure that uh, historically when we when we cracked it and enabled, you know, our kind of safe, you know, passage of time around the fire at night, we, we developed our language and we developed our song and we developed our storytelling, you know, exponentially, you know, after that. So it's no different today. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the book includes quite a bit around the business of narrative and, uh, and sharing story around the fire and some tips and techniques, you know, how to do that and for specific stories to tell, yeah. Well, we're, we're going to have to wrap this up here pretty quick, but before we let you go, um, how, what's your advice for getting people to step away from the campfire into the dark, uh, where there are noises and, uh, and uh, oh. things that, to, that that reach out and grab us that, that quite often frighten us, even experienced outdoors people. I know a lot of uh, uh, hunters and campers who, boy, they just won't go out without a, uh, a lantern or a uh, flashlight, and they won't go away from the fire. Uh, how do you get started? How do you get people like, like that started? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I have, you know, I've been in territories where I'm not the apex predator, and uh, it is a very different thing. What uh, what shows up though is this sort of vitality and aliveness. You know, we have to bring all our faculties to our awareness, don't we? When there are things lurking there that are genuinely potentially dangerous, uh, and that's exciting. It's got a thrill to it. Um, I think with information, you you learn to understand that uh, there are ways to navigate. You know, at night, and uh, really, really. There aren't too many, you know, um, attacks on human beings from wild animals. 
relatively speaking, it would be a hundred times more dangerous to cross the road. Yeah. <laughs> um, in Britain, we're, we're blessed. You know, you know, we do mourn the loss of the, the bigger predators like the bear and the wolf, of course, but uh, we are blessed with a certain kind of permission to step over that threshold at night and not to be threatened by those predators. Um, I think you've just got to start telling some stories about your own experience. You know, mm-hmm. the sort of magic, the wonderment, you know, just what's available at night, just, you know, just to entice and encourage uh, others, folks outdoors. So I think it's just getting out there yourself, really, getting acquainted. Um, and there are, it's amazing what stories people tell. Just earlier on this evening, someone was sharing about an experience to her. She grabbed a friend, she said, take their baby bags out. Just once a year, they'd go out and uh, go out in the South Downs in the South of England. And a wide open space, I suppose, and um, and they busy out together, you know. And she said, you know, one night there was a badger um, that came out of the dark, walked right, you know, right next to her head, you know, sniffed her out. She just, she said, it was just such an experience for me, you know. It was so many years ago, I'll never ever ever forget it. And uh, and I think the night offers you that, you know. You've got the cloak of darkness to protect you and to um, to uh, aid your presence as well, so you can use that to your advantage. There are sights and sounds at night, you know, that you can get close to wildlife uh, that way. So there's, um, so there's that. And then just the dark sky experience, of course, there's nothing quite like a confection of stars. So, um, yeah, I Absolutely. think it's better storytelling. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Chris, we, we've got to let you go. We're, we're uh, running out yeah. of time here, but... Uh, uh, a lot of ideas in your book, uh, Wild Nights Out. Can people get it from your website? Yes, and also, um, you know, the usual channel, mm-hmm. um, in Amazon, for example, um, those usual kind of main booksellers. Sure. I think it's all available and, uh, and of course from Chelsea Green, the publishers. Okay. Well, Chris, thank you so much, and uh, carry on. You're doing great work, and uh, good luck with uh, with all your adventures this uh, this summer and this year. And uh, we hope some of our listeners will look for your book, Wild Nights Out, by Chris Salisbury. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much, Dan. It's been a pleasure. You bet. Chris Salisbury, author of Wild Nights Out, his website again, wildwise.co.uk. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. For the nonprofit Rough Grouse Society, the well-being of the rough grouse and American woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Rough Grouse Society toll-free at 888-JOIN. RGS. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small.
If you are ever in a car or motorcycle accident and need help, call Hupie and Abraham, named Best Personal Injury Law Firm by the Wisconsin Law Journal, year after year. The firm of Hupie and Abraham has collected more than a billion dollars for its clients. In fact, they collect millions of dollars every month for hundreds of satisfied clients. Call the firm Voted Best and Rated Best, Hupie and Abraham. 800-800-5678 or visit hupie.com and all 11 offices of Hupie and Abraham are open for business if you need their help. Outdoors Radio is brought to you by Cedar Lake Sales and Highway 33 West in West Bend on the web at cedarlakesales.com. You can check out Cedar Lake Sales website or Facebook page for updates and details and they got new and used boats in stock ready to go for your summer needs. Stop in and visit them or, or visit them online. Uh, we're also brought to you by Remy Battery, family-owned and operated since 1931, serving Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton, and RemyBattery.com. And by Huntworth Gear, high-tech camo wear at a price you can afford at HuntworthGear.com. Well, if you happen to miss an episode of our TV show, Outdoor Wisconsin, they are still running. And these are all uh, repeat shows. Uh, because uh, they're still not producing any new ones. Um, That's a long story I may get into at some point, but not today. Uh, You can watch any show from the past several seasons at milwaukeepbs.org. And Deer Hunt Wisconsin is always up on our Deer Hunt Wisconsin YouTube channel. Just uh, go to YouTube and uh, search for Deer Hunt Wisconsin, Dan Small, or TV, and you'll find it. And if you missed anything on today's radio show, you can find us online all the time. Go to lake-link.com. Go to their outdoor radio page, uh, our media page, outdoor radios, uh, right there for you to download. Take with you anywhere you want to go. You can find Dan on social media throughout the week by following him at Dan Small Outdoors. You can find me at Hardwater Jeff. Two news items from the DNR um, that you may not have heard. Sharptail grouse season, which has been closed for a couple of years, it remains closed now. In an effort to conserve the few remaining sharptails in Wisconsin, uh, we are losing habitat, and the birds need a special habitat, so they're they're dwindling in numbers, so we're not going to hunt them this year. And the Eagle Tower, good news, at Peninsula State Park is now open. They've got an 850-foot accessible walkway that goes through the canopy of trees on the way to the top of the tower, as well as 100 steps that you can climb to reach the top. That you know, that might be a, a tower to visit, Jeff. That's really Absolutely. interesting. Yeah. Our theme, cool. yeah. Uh, our theme music is by Warren Nelson. You can hear more of his tunes at warrennelson.com and you can buy his CD, Anglin Wayne and the Trollers, with our two theme songs on that as well. I'm Dan Small here with Jeff Kelm. Get outside this weekend and join us again next week for Outdoors Radio. You've been listening to Outdoors Radio your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Find more Outdoors Radio online at dansmalloutdoors.com. Brought to you by Lake Link, your online fishing resource at lake-link.com. I'll be trolling home to you When my wrist gets a little chilly on the gunnel when my lazy ike is just too lazy to lure when the worms go dry in the coffee can honey 